Welcome to a brand new edition of Problematic Women. I'm Lauren Evans. And I'm Virginia Allen. We are continuing to just sort of like throw one big party here on Problematic Women in the wake of Roe v. Wade being overturned. It's still in some ways, like I feel like you just sort of stop every now and then and you're like, wow. We're in a post-row world. That really happened. Yeah. We're living in a post-row world. (laughs) (laughs) So we're continuing to celebrate that today by talking to one of the leaders, really, in the pro-life movement. Kristen Hawkins is the president of Students for Life. And for the past 16 years, she says like she's been planning for a post-row world. She's been waiting Mm. for this moment and really empowering students in the role that they can play. And I think, you know, even in looking at like, who was at the court on Friday when it was overturned among the pro-life crowd? It was young people. Yeah. It was students. Like, they're the future. Yeah, a lot of Students for Life members were there. Exactly. And I know, like, so many of you listening, you're students, you're in school, you're recent grads, and you're kind of asking that question of, like, okay, how can I be involved on my campus in furthering life, uh, in my community? Um, so Kristen is joining us today just to talk about that, to talk about what is the path forward. Um, and if you didn't listen to the show on Tuesday, we did flip-flop the shows. So usually on the last Tuesday of the month, we do an interview edition, and then we have our normal show on Thursday. Well, we flipped them this week because we wanted just to take some time on Tuesday to celebrate this historic moment in history and talk about what what is now happening at the state level now that Roe v. Wade has been overturned. So if you kind of want that full rundown, catch the show on Tuesday, and then um, today we're so excited to talk with Kristen Hawkins about the path forward for all of us, but really specifically for students. What does that look like? So without further ado, let's go ahead and get to our conversation with Kristen Hawkins, the president of Students for Life. It is my privilege to welcome to the show today the president of Students for Life, Kristen Hawkins. Kristen, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. Well, it is a really exciting time in our nation's history. You were at the Supreme Court on Friday when that decision on the Dobbs case was released that officially overturned Roe v. Wade, and and you were able to stand with so many students, so many pro-life advocates, and read a little bit of Justice Samuel Alito's opinion that overturned Roe v. Wade. Let's take a listen to that moment. So, Kristen, you have dedicated your life to the pro-life movement, to fighting for those who don't have a voice. Describe that moment to us on Friday of what that meant to be standing there with all of these other pro-life young people, all these other pro-life individuals, and have that news hit you of, whoa, finally, after such a long fight, Roe v. Wade has been overturned. Yeah, it's a it's an indescribable feeling. I'll tell you, you know, we've been working for this day for 16 years since we launched Students for Life. So I've been talking about a post-America, preparing for a post-America for 16 years every day. Um, And then to to be there when it happens, it's like, okay, yeah, we got this. We know what we need to do. I think it really hit me. Though Saturday morning when we woke up, it was Saturday is the number one abortion day in America. And so we were taking uh, hundreds of students door knocking in suburban Maryland, educating neighbors surrounding a late term abortion facility about the nonviolent resources that exist, the alternatives to abortion that exist. Um, and so we were up early and that's when it really hit me that because of that road decision, 
because of the reversal, because of the quick moving states like Texas, Alabama, uh, Missouri, Kentucky, that, you know, that moved very quickly to say, hey, the law, you know, the law on the books before 1973 is now in effect, cease and desist all abortions in the state. We knew of uh, over 400 children that would be spared on Saturday morning, the violence of abortion. And that number, that tally uh, of lives saved every day is just going to grow as more and more states, uh, their trigger laws come into effect, their AGs certify their pre-existing books on the law. I mean, it could be as many as 880 children once 26 states have fully acted. And so um, I think it's hard sometimes as pro-life advocates because you don't know how many lives you can save. You know, if you're on social media and you're, you know, myth busting, um, put laying down some facts, or if you're on TV or if you're on a college campus or whatever your kind of role in the pro-life movement is, unless you're a sidewalk counselor who's praying and counseling women from an abortion facility, or even if you know you're a counselor inside of a pregnancy center, unless you ha- you fill one of those two roles, you don't really ever know how many lives you've saved or the impact your you know specific contribution has made. But now we know, and you know there's a number. And, you know, I was thinking about all the folks who said in 2016 and 2020 not to vote uh, for the pro-life presidential candidate, that voting was meaningless and nothing would ever change. Uh, yeah, that talking point can never be used again. <laughs> well, and I, I love the fact that at Students for Life, you all are getting the younger generation so excited to be a part of being a voice for those that don't have a voice. You are mobilizing students. That's what you've done from the beginning. You've been mobilizing young people to really uh, to be a voice on this issue. What are you hearing from your students and what are they hearing uh, from others on their campuses, among their friend groups about this decision? What do you think Gen Z is saying about Roe v. Wade being overturned? I mean, our students are obviously extremely excited. I've I've been laying down the challenge to them, though, that their legacy wasn't simply to be the last generation of Americans born under Roe, but their legacy is to become this first post-Roe generation, ensuring no woman stands alone in America, stopping the proliferation of these dangerous chemical abortion pills that lead to injury and fertility and death of mothers across America, not only, you know, their death of their child, but a serious harm to them, uh, ensuring that Americans continue to vote pro-life first and to block the radical attempts that will be made by the left to pack the Supreme Court and to pass some sort of federal bill that forces every American to pay for abortions for any reason up until the middle of birth. We have a big, tall order ahead of us. Um, and so our generation is motivated, ready to go. Um, but they're hearing, from, they're hearing from their peers is a lot of uh, myths. And to be honest with you, a, cl- a lot of inaccurate information is being spread on the Internet. And so I've seen our students and our leaders have done an incredible job of really, you know, creating their own graphics and TikToks and reels, responding to all of these lies that are out there. The, you know, pro-lifers don't care about children or mothers after the baby's been born, myth busted or um, pro-life laws mean that women experiencing life-threatening situations during pregnancy, like ectopic pregnancy, will die. 
that's absolutely false. Um, you know, so we're, we're, we're out there every day and I'm hoping that the pro-life generation continues this work of really busting these myths and these fear mongering tactics, uh, that the left is deploying. We saw this in Texas last summer. We were in Texas all spring ensuring the passage of the Texas Harpy bill. The bill was brought forward by one of our alumni. So we were very involved there in Texas. And, you know, we saw protests and a bunch of fear mongering. And yet when the law went into effect September 1st, life went on in Texas. I was in Texas for six weeks in the spring of my family. You know, women were still graduating a college at higher rates than men. Women were still being promoted in the workplace. Uh, I was in a lot of back alleys trying to find a place big enough to park our huge diesel truck. I didn't see any dead bodies stacking up in the, in the back alleys. I mean, every like myth and every fear, uh, every threat that the abortion industry used did not come to fruition. Life went on in Texas, despite the fact that 65% of babies who would be scheduled to be aborted were saved. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have to be on the front lines of, of, like you say, busting those myths. We were talking about that on Promenade Women on Tuesday because they're so rampant all over social media. And, and you were speaking to some of the misinformation just earlier this week. You went on CNN and had this uh, really great dialogue debate uh, with with one of the anchors there that was really pressing you on this issue. Let's go ahead and take a listen. But the reality is, I think it's nearly half a million kids end up in foster care. And I don't know how many of those were kids that, you know, the mother wanted to abort and came from a disadvantaged home. But the reality is you say say that you're working on this, Mm -hmm. but so many kids still end up abused, neglect in the broken foster care system. And the reality is the governments in these states do not have the resources on the books, Mm. such as paid family leave, such as the extended Medicaid to help with these situations. We can definitely talk about those policies, but the question is, is the solution to children in foster care to kill them? So, you know, Kristen, most of us are not necessarily on national television talking about the abortion issue, but a lot of us are having conversations on social media with our friends around the dinner table with family members. And one one argument that uh, that you spoke about in in that uh, interview on CNN and that a lot of people on the pro-abortion side are are bringing up is, you know, well, for those of you who are pro-life, you know, you're really just pro-birth and you're not for things like universal child care or free health care. How do we respond to, to these mm. kind of arguments? I mean, there those are substantive policy debates. I, I was on NPR the other day and they pressed me and they wanted to know exactly what policies I was for. And I have a lot of opinions about different policies, especially as a mother of two children with a very expensive, life-threatening medical illness. I've spoken out vehemently against socialized health care and what it would mean just for my children. And so I have a lot of opinions about that. And in fact, I would say the pro-life movement has a lot of differing opinions. We are made up of liberals and conservatives in the pro-life movement. It is not a monolithic movement of white Republicans, um, white Republican men, which is what the mainstream media tries to say. I mean, well, what is a man? I mean, who knows? Um, but I, you know, that came up in CNN. It came up at, at NPR. And I think the, the, when I'm having that conversation, say, you look, I would love to have these discussions with you, but first I think we all need to agree that babies shouldn't be scheduled to die. That even if you believe a baby may uh, be highly likely or more likely to live in poverty his or her life, that we should at least agree that we shouldn't kill that child. 
to, you know, we don't eliminate the sufferer, we eliminate the suffering. And then let's have that discussion. And that's really what the pro-life movement is saying is, hey, let's have a discussion about how not to kill babies. And then we would love to have these discussions. Um, I mean, a lot of stuff, too, is very inaccurate when we hear these things because we don't actually have a national abortion reporting law in the country. I did a second CNN hit a couple of days ago, and, you know, that was... The anchor was trying to press me on the number of women who die who are pregnant every year and how abortion is so much safer. You can't claim that because we literally do not have any government stats on this. We have none. The abortion industry can self-report to the CDC. States like New York and California, the two largest abortion states, don't even report that in. We don't actually have good comparison numbers to even have an intelligent conversation mm, mm, there. Wow. Yeah, that's critical. We need the numbers. We need the backing. Um, can't just be making things up. And the abortion industry, every time that this has been put up, the abortion industry kills it. They don't want to have to report the number of abortions or the outcomes or what's, you know, what the demographics uh, were of women. They will keep their own stats for themselves, but they're not going to share them with the rest of the world. Mm, mm. Well, I, I want to take a few minutes to talk about the practical work of Students for Life, what you all are doing. I know you have so many different campaigns going on. Um, tell us a little bit about abortion-free cities and how um, you all are practically trying to be the hands and feet that are loving women and protecting babies. Yeah, we launched this last spring, and the idea is to go into cities with a holistic approach knocking on doors in neighborhoods surrounding abortion facilities, educating Americans about the nonviolent alternatives that exist, which sadly, we've knocked on 120,000 doors. 73% of the neighbors we talk to don't know the resources exist. They all know where they can go to have an abortion, but they don't know about the nonviolent resources. We're running digital ads in the cities targeted to women who we think you know, are most likely to find themselves in unplanned pregnancy, directly connecting them. You know, they can pick up the phone, schedule a, a, an appointment right then and there, or, or start a chat on our standingwithyou.org website. We're running digital ads in those cities to 18 to 34 y'alls, those most directly targeted by the abortion industry and their propaganda. We're seeing minds changed rate between 18 and 31% in those cities. Uh, and we're also building coalitions, building coalitions with churches uh, and other pro-life groups to be out in front of the abortion facility offering support to be reporting in uh, on what's actually happening in those abortion facilities to make complaints where we can in states that actually will investigate uh, these dirty abortion facilities to, to get folks involved, to get th those who are sitting in the pews who say that they're pro-life to join us, either door knocking or on, you know, putting a pro-life bumper sticker, or we have pro-life yard signs that just say, Hey, free confidential support, standing with you.org, really trying to get the entire community involved in this moving, you know, well beyond what we do on campuses, which is changing minds and transforming the policies to be friendly towards pregnant parenting women, which one out of 20 college students is pregnant or parenting, but moving it and shifting it into the communities. One thing that I'm particularly excited about that we're, we've, we're doing because of the things we've learned with this abortion free cities campaign this year is a standing with her Sunday and national simulcast on Sunday, August 28th. And we're, you know, it's a live event for churches and small groups. Folks can host it for free. They get a kit, you know, stickers and all that stuff. But the goal is to give 
people who've said for so long that they're pro-life, kind of a virtual tool belt of, okay, if I have a friend or a family member who's hurting from a past abortion, go support after abortion. If I know a woman who's taken the first pill in the dangerous chemical abortion pill cocktail, she can go to abortion pill reversal. I know a woman who is in crisis who needs help, go to, to standingwithyou.org. Um, and so we're trying to get all of these resources. We've got, you know, the former, uh, the Bishop of Church of God in Christ, which is the largest African-American denomination in the country, Dr. Alvita King, Turning Point Faith. Uh, we're trying to really unite this the movement and to, to arming folks with the information. You can go to standingwithhersunday.org to sign up, to watch, to host. But um, that's really where I feel like it, it's an offensive battle. You know, there's a lot of defensive battles right now in the pro-life movement. You know, the 2022 midterms are going to be huge. State legislative races, which we've been playing in. Uh, you know, protecting women against abortion trafficking over state lines and these chemical abortion drugs that are going to be shipped in, even into states that have banned abortion. But offensively, something that we all can do is ensure no woman stands alone. Yeah, no, that's it's so simple, honestly, of just saying, hey, I'm, I'm going to come alongside you. I'm going to support you uh, both practically, just meeting practical needs, emotionally, just being a friend. Like, that's something any of us can do. So for Kristen, for, for those listening who are thinking, okay, I, I want to get involved. I want to do something. How can they learn more? How can they get involved with what you are doing at Students for Life? Yeah, you can go to studentsforlife.org. Whether you're a student or a non-student, um, we have programs of, you know, really trying to get folks involved. I encourage folks to go to studentsforlifeaction.org slash volunteer. We're going to, we're in Kansas right now knocking on doors. There's a, that will be the first state to have abortion actually on the ballot on August 2nd. We need, uh, we need your support in Kansas going, helping us knock on doors, knocking on doors in the election. Go to standingwithhersunday.org, sign up to host this free national simulcast on Sunday, August 28th. Uh, follow us on social media and just take the graphics and the videos. You know, my podcast, Explicitly Pro-Life, we put out clips all the time and just spread those out to dispel the misinformation that's out there. Kristen, before we let you go, final question. Um, do you consider yourself to be a feminist? Yes or no? Why or why not? You know, I used to call myself a feminist when I was in college. I would always say I was a pro-life feminist. Um, I don't really use the term anymore. I know some of our student leaders do use the term. Um, I only use the term really if I really want to make the left mad on the TV interview because they hate uh, pro-life women using the term. I think my life, you know, I talked about this a lot. Like, I think the way I live my life is uh, is really... Um, in because of the the first and second wave, some of the first and second wave feminists, you know, I run an organization of, you know, a hundred employees, mostly of all women. Uh, most of us are working moms. I'm a working mom of four, you know, children. I, you know, my husband uh, is now um, our stay at home homeschooling educator in our home. Like I, you know, I live this unconventional life. And I think the life I live is because of some of the struggles that the first and se even the second wave feminists had to make to ensure that like I can own property, that I can open up a bank account uh, without my husband's permission. That was a kind of a big deal. Um, but no, I don't concern myself a feminist because the feminist movement has lost what it said it was fighting for. Mm -hmm. Kristen, thank you so much for your time today. For all of all of you out there listening, be sure to check out the work of Students for Life. And Kristen, thanks for your time. We really appreciate you joining the show. Thanks for having me. 
And that's going to be it for this week's edition of Problematic Women. Have an amazing July 4th and be sure to join us next week on Thursday for a brand new edition. But in the meantime, take a minute to subscribe and share. We read every single review that you all leave us. It means a lot. Um, So, hey, if you have a little bit of extra time over the holiday weekend, use that time to give us a five-star review. (laughs) Let us know who your favorite Problematic Woman host is. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And why it's Lauren. (laughs) (laughs) Have a great 4th of July. We'll see you next week. Problematic Women is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is a product of The Daily Signal, produced by Lauren Evans and Virginia Allen. And be sure to follow Problematic Women on Instagram. We produce Problematic Women in remembrance of our dear friend and former co-host, Bree Payton.